Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Paranormal. Hello. Um, usually we start these episodes with a funny little quip, and uh, we realize that this episode is coming out on Canada Day, and so um, we wanted to just address something that's going on in our country right now, which is Canada. Uh, basically, over the last few weeks, the remains of over a thousand Indigenous children have been unearthed in residential schools in our country. And the Indigenous people have been telling us about this for a very long time. Um, I think even mm-hmm. Gord Downey spoke with our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, before his passing about the atrocities that had happened at the residential schools run by the Catholic Church. And mm. uh, we are obviously saddened and horrified by what has been unearthed here. Um, and just wanted to take this time in our intro to address it and to recognize it. And uh, normally today would be a day of celebration, but um, we've chosen to make it a day of resolve and of reflection mm-hmm. uh, and to think about our friends in the Indigenous communities and to um, lend our support to them in any way that we can. Yep, and exactly. That's that's our intro. That, so a heavy intro, our intro today. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but um, not sorry as well. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important where we usually address uh, topics like this when they happen. So we thought, you know, it is our it is the country that we're from, and and a lot of attention is being shone on this and we feel like it we would be amiss by not addressing it uh also given the fact that we are going to be doing canadian ghosts and uh paranormal experiences um so we wanted to make sure and preface that um we are we are standing with the indigenous communities and uh we are sorry that this has happened and we're sorry it took so long for anyone to do anything about it so and we hope that and we really hope that some justice get served so yeah tax the church and give the indigenous communities clean drinking water could be like the very least maybe the the very least that maybe our country could do possibly um but just putting it out there yeah anyway (laughs) anyway let's take a breath and we'll move into horoscopes on this episode Mm -hmm. so i got yours ready are you ready great i am ready so okay Your heightened sensitivity could get you into trouble today, Leo. The more you try to pin down a specific answer to something, the more resistance you may encounter. Don't expect a straight answer from anyone or you will be disappointed. Hmm. People may be flighty or forgetful. Try not to take anything too seriously today. Um... I really haven't communicated all that much with too many people today. The only thing that I can imagine that I might uh, be wanting to pin down is uh, whether or not we got the cottage and or if we didn't, what was the actual uh, closing offer on mm-hmm. it. But we probably won't find out until until tomorrow anyway. So I'm not really sure what I would be trying to pin down at this point. I know that a lot of people, because they are, uh, the rest of the week is kind of uh, weird. People are kind of taking days off and everything. So a lot of this stuff that I'm working on, 
I'm not really able to get any answers from my coworkers because they're Mm -hmm. all working on their stuff and then they're like, hey, peace out. Uh, So that's the only thing that I can think of. Nothing really pops into mind that's that makes sense. Yeah, exactly about it. So that's about it. Also, just just really Mm. quickly, because you mentioned the cottage, I was going to say by way of an update already had said like I hope you don't get that cottage and then you didn't (laughs) I didn't and he and he said it in a way that he felt convinced that we weren't going to get it so I and and honestly I'm I'm glad that we we kind of I mean we would have dealt with it if we had um but given how much work would have needed to go into it I'm slightly relieved that we Mm -hmm. didn't get it at this time uh and I don't even know if we would have really if the bank would have given us what we needed I mean they might have but it, it would have right. been a very complex process if we if we it had gotten it yeah so so yeah so there's other opportunities which is good uh yes. it, it allowed us to see that there are other opportunities out there that might be a better fit for us so thanks mm-hmm. Artie yeah thanks Art <laughs> yeah okay so Gemini um your emotions are more peaceful and easier to control today Gemini It's almost as if you're merging with the energy around you. The one thing to be careful of is indecision. When it comes to taking action on something and you aren't sure which way to go, you do better to hold off. Make your big move some other day. Interesting. So my emotions are more peaceful and at ease. I I sense that. In the last few days, I had a stressful last few days. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Had visits from the in-laws, had a dinner yeah. with like my in-laws and my parents. It was just a lot of hect- like a lot of hectic energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, now that I'm like alone in the house, Steven's back at work, I'm just kind of like chilling, working, and right now I'm crocheting a lot, obviously. Very nice. My baby is gonna be here in four months. Yeah. Um, so I'm making him some things. And um so one thing to be careful of is indecision. So um, I, I don't think there's anything that I was very indecisive of. The only mm-hmm. thing that I was like thinking, oh, should I or shouldn't I was I'm donating a bunch of stuff right now. I'm like okay. getting things in my house together, obviously, and organized. And yep. um, and I it's funny that we um, broached the topic of Canada Day today I found an indigenous women's shelter for women who are victims victims of domestic violence okay and so I was considering like should I not not should I donate I'm going to donate my my things to them um but was like should I give them my baby items like some of the baby items I have because a lot of the times women are fleeing with their children children yeah so I called them and I asked them, do you have any babies that need anything? And she was like, actually, we do. We have two babies that need oh. things. Oh, and then wow. I was, yeah, I was humming and hawing about what do I give them of the baby things? Certain things are like Christmas. And I was like, oh, that's a Christian holiday. And we're not happy with the Christians right now. <laughs> right. So probably not. not gonna, yeah. Probably not appropriate. Um, but then Stephen, my husband, was like, just give them, like, don't give them the Christmas stuff if you don't want to, but give them, ev- like, give them everything. Like every onesie that we have in our possession, yeah. give them all of it. We can afford to replace those. We can, like, Aww. we don't we just give them to them. Aww. And I was like, oh, well, now my indecisiveness has been cured. Thank you. Yeah. So, Thank you, so, Virgo sweetheart. My, my Virgo prince. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's nice. 
Um, so I guess, yeah, most of that was relevant to you. It was, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, thanks. Uh, I mean, I mean, I didn't do anything, but yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess we can get into our stories. So mm-hmm. I decided to do the poltergeist of the Dag family. Ooh. And this took place in... Yeah, this took place in Quebec. This is a wild ride. Um, I got my info from a WordPress uh, blog written by a woman named Arlene Stafford Wilson. Uh, I also got some information from an article on spineonline.ca and an Ottawa Citizen article that was written by Chris Lackner. So the spooky story takes place in 1889 on a farm in Clarendon, Quebec. In the autumn of 1889, George and Susan Dagg, the owners of the farm, started experiencing some strange happenings. George and Susan had three children at the time. There was four-year-old Eliza, three-year-old Mary, and a baby named John. The Dagg family had also taken in a young girl named Dinah, who was 11, and she was part of an immigration scheme, which was an effort to place underprivileged children from the UK into Canadian and Australian homes. They were often placed on farms where they were made to help with labor. So when Dinah was around... She'd been there with them for a few years. I believe she arrived there in 1884, but then in 1989, things started happening. So whenever Dinah was around, unexplained things started to happen. Oftentimes, spontaneous fires would start as if from nothing, sometimes as many as eight fires a day. Objects would fly around the room, like a water jug, a butter tub, and a wash basin, Mm. and they would move around with intent as if something was invisible was moving them around. Stones were thrown through windows, a harmonica played on its own, and an empty rocking chair would rock on its own. Water was thrown in Mrs. Dagg's face, people's hair was pulled and cut, furniture was moved around, and a disembodied voice would say really rude things. Family members and neighbors both would hear a deep, gruff voice that sounded like an old man in the house and outdoors, and the voice would answer questions. The first incident that happened was on September 15th. Mr. Dagg had given his wife a $5 bill and a $2 bill, which she put inside of a dresser drawer. The next day, a farmhand named Dean brought a $5 bill to Dagg, saying that he found it on the floor near their stove. And when the family looked in the dresser drawer, they saw that both of the bills were missing. So they then accused Dean of being the one who stole the money, which is weird to me because, like, if he was going to steal it, why would he bring why would he return a dollar bill? Um, and then the family searched his room and they found the other bill hidden in between two quilts on his bed. He maintained his innocence. George took the boy to a judge in Shawville to explain himself. But while he was away, I know, but while he was away, <laughs> A series of petty annoyances started. And I, okay, so the articles I read, one of them described it as a petty annoyance. This is not a petty annoyance, let me tell you. Okay, okay. Milk pans were emptied, butter was taken from the crocks, and fecal matter was strewn across the floor. Very and petty. I mean, right? Like, and I, I, I strewn my poo across the floor when I'm, I'm feeling petty. I stro- strewn other people's poo across the floor. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Cute. I break in. I give the neighbor a burrito. I break in the house several hours later. <laughs> I find the poo and smear it. 
Awesome. So after this happened, they believed Dean because he was with the dad in Shawville in front of a judge. And then all this stuff was still happening back at home. So a day or two later, the family was sitting in their home when a pane of glass had crashed into the house as if someone had broken it from the outside. George Dagg was not at home at the time, but his father was there in his place during his absence. He thought that someone outside was just being a good old fashioned vandal. So he went outside and he hid himself to see if he could find the person who broke the windows. And he didn't see anyone, but the windows continued to be broken as if by invisible hands. So shortly after this, the so that was their grandfather. Then their grandmother moves in with them. And she was cleaning one of the bedrooms one day when Dinah screamed, oh, grandmother, see the big black thing pulling off the bedclothes. The grandmother looked and she couldn't see the figure, but she could see the sheets being raised up as though someone had caught them in the middle and was lifting them up. She asked Dinah where this thing was, and Dinah was shocked that she couldn't see it. The grandmother picked up a whip stock, which I'm not sure what that is, but I'm just assuming it's some type of whip, and told Dinah to hit the entity. Dinah was obviously scared, but the old lady got behind her and convinced her to try. Dinah started hitting the entity, and a neighbor ended up coming over and also encouraged Dinah to continue striking it. So that's just just to tell you that a witness was there that this was right right so apparently this poltergeist would appear to the other children in various forms including a man with a cow's head and a creature that was similar to a large black dog it also asked the children on one occasion would you like to go to hell with me so ew yeah so terrifying Uh, (laughs) after the family had had enough they sought out the witch of plum hollow for assistance She had been credited with supernatural powers and was known far and wide. They had a long seance, and when it was over, she told George Dagg that his issues were caused by black art practices by a neighboring woman who was a widow and her two children. She said that they had been casting spells on Dinah. There was only one widow nearby with two children, and her name was Mrs. Wallace, and there was no reason why her and her children would harbor any ill will against Dinah. When confronted, Mrs. Wallace said she knew nothing about it, and she came to the Dag house to prove that she had no grudge against the Dags or anyone in their household. Although in another account, it was said that the Dags and Mrs. Wallace were in the middle of a land ownership dispute in regards to an adjacent property, which Mm -hmm. lent to everyone's belief that she had practiced witchcraft to try and get even with the Dags. Gotcha. Right. So there was also an account written in the paper that could also lend some blame as to who stuck the family with this entity. In an interview with the Tom- with Thomas Dagg, who was another son of George Dagg, I guess he was born after the other three children, um, he said that a showman came to his father and asked for Dinah. His father wouldn't let the man have her, and after the man left is when the ghost activity started. So we've got two possible how old is this girl i did i miss something dinah was 11 Uh, okay that's what i thought yeah she wasn't like of normal age that someone should (laughs) know a gentleman called child bride her yeah wow yeah well well, it's the 1800s still 11 still seems a little young (laughs) a little young and then a man with arguably the greatest name in history greatest last name in history enters the story percy woodcock (laughs) 
Perfect. Love it. Yeah. Percy was an, I'm super mature, Percy was an artist, a student of psychology, and a journalist. He arrived at the Dag residence after hearing the history of the case and took Dinah into a shed that was attached to the house. Dinah said, are you there, mister? And to Percy's shock, a deep, gruff voice of an old man answered her. The voice sounded no more than five feet away from them, and the language used was apparently very very inappropriate because they would not write in the paper and on any of the blogs what this thing said to them. Oh, wow. Uh, Okay. Yeah. The voice, it just said that he was like really rude. The voice did claim to be someone who died 20 years ago and was 80 years old when he passed away. He said that he had given his name to Mr. George Dagg and Mr. Willie Dagg, but forbade them from telling anyone else his name. This poltergeist must have had a bit of an identity crisis because it also claimed to be the devil and an angel. It also told, I love this, it also told a clergyman who was trying to perform an exorcism that he'd better stick to photography. Oh my God. When Percy's shock subsided, he began to protest against the voice and criticize it for the language that it was using. Percy spoke to the voice for close to five hours, and they argued about philosophy, theology, and the nature of God, right and wrong, and other things. And when Percy made the voice mad, Dinah would react as if she was being slapped, kicked, hit, punched, or scratched. During the five-hour exchange, the voice announced its plans for a final goodbye, and the word spreads. Scores of people came to the home and heard the invisible voice speaking. Percy ensured that he had all witnesses of the voice sign a statement before publishing his experience in the Brockville Recorder and Times. People used to come by the wagon load from neighboring towns and villages, along with the media, to witness the poltergeist activity. Sometimes as many as 200 buggies would come a day. Charlie Harris of Shawville was hit on the head by a hat with a potato in it when he was visiting the home. That's hilarious because there's potato instances in mine as well. But Shut up! This yeah. is so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, he had peeked into a room where the voice of the ghost seemed to be coming from. Another neighbor corroborated the story and said that the potato had hit Harris hard enough that it left a noticeable bump on his head. Probably the saddest thing that happened is that Eliza Dagg had died mysteriously during the time that the poltergeist was active in the home. Local lore is that she was playing near a cauldron of soap and her clothing caught fire and she burned to death. 17 farmers and community leaders, including local politicians and clergymen, signed witness statements to the sightings and voices that were heard at the Dag Farm, and the statement read, To whom it may concern, we, the undersigned, solemnly declare that the following curious proceedings, which began on the 15th day of September 1889 and are still going on on the 17th day of November 1889, in the home of Mr. George Dag." A farmer living seven miles from Shawville Clarendon Township, Pontiac County, province of Quebec, actually occurred as below described. First, that fires have broken, spo- broken out spontaneously through the house, as many as eight occurring on one day, six being in the house and two outside. That the window curtains were burned while on the windows. This happened in broad daylight while the family and neighbors were in the house. 
Second, that stones were thrown by invisible hands through the windows, as many as eight panes of glass being broken, that articles such as a water jug, milk pitcher, a wash basin, cream jug, butter tub, and other articles were thrown about the house by the same invisible agency. A jar of water. (laughs) Yeah, I know. A jar of water being thrown in the face of Mrs. John Dagg, also in the face of Mrs. George Dagg while they were busy about their household duties. Mrs. George Dagg being alone in the house at the time, it was thrown in her face that a large shelf was heard distinctly to be played and was seen to move across the room onto the floor. Immediately after, a rocking chair began rocking furiously that a washboard was sent flying down the stairs from the garret, no one being in the garret at the time, that when the child Dinah is present, a deep gruff voice like that of an aged man has been heard at various times, both in the house and outdoors, and when asked questions, answers so as to be distinctly heard, showing that he is cognizant of all that has taken place, not only in Mr. Dagg's family, but also in the families of the surrounding neighborhood. That he claims to be a discarnated being who died 20 years ago, aged 80 years. That he gave his name to Mr. George Dagg and to Mr. Willie Dagg, forbidding them to tell it. That this intelligence is able to make himself visible to Dinah, little Mary, and Johnny, who have seen him under different forms at different times. At one time as a tall, thin man with a cow's head, horns, and cloven foot. At another time as a big black dog, and finally as a man with a beautiful face and long white hair dressed in white wearing a crown with stars in it. We'll get to that later. And so all 17 people, like politicians, clergymen, a bunch of like high esteemed people signed this witness statement. Okay. And then as quickly as the poltergeist arrived, it left. On a Monday morning, the two Dag children were returning to the home after drawing water from a well. They returned home very excited and said that they had seen a beautiful old man dressed in shining garments. He addressed the children with endearing words and then bidding them goodbye, mounted into the air, leaving behind him what the children described as a line of blaze and then vanished. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. The Dags, the right, and I'm like, well, was he an angel then, or yeah, sounds very angelic to me, like just a goofy angel, just (laughs) having some fun. I guess. I mean, the Dag family's lives returned to normal for the most part. George became one of the most prominent farmers in the region and served as a counselor from uh, for Portage from 1918 to 1922. He was then elected mayor, where he served for 16 years until his death in 1938. Dinah was eventually sent away to Fairno Homes in Brockville. It was an orphanage, although Dinah's mother was still alive in Scotland. Locals and curiosity seekers still drive by the Dag property, and local teens have been known to walk through the yard at night on a dare. The Lombard family purchased and have lived in the house since the 1980s. It's currently occupied by Charlene Lombard and her daughter, Danielle. They both find the local interest amusing, but they also have had strange things happen in the home since they've purchased it. Danielle remembers hearing someone climbing the creaky stairs and stopping outside of her bedroom door. She thought one of her siblings was pranking her and she flung her door open only to see no one standing there. Her siblings also talked about an upstairs door that would open and close as if it had its own will. And although Charlene has never seen or heard anything, she also said that her children claimed to have seen a little girl in a white dress come down the stairs in the original part of the farmhouse and cross the hall through the kitchen door. 
Charlene's mm. late husband had also seen that apparition in the home, and I'm wondering if it's the spirit of Eliza. The only other thing that the Lombards have noticed is a crawling and scratching noise in the attic of the old part of the home only, leaving the new additions to the home as silent as the poltergeist has been since the fall of 1889. And that is the story of the Dag wow. poltergeist. That's wild. So did she get sent to an or I'm, I'm just going back to uh, Dinah. Okay. Did she get sent to an orphanage because they assume she was the cause of this? So originally that, that was like conflicting stories happened there. So the poltergeist had left them alone before yeah. Dinah was sent away. So I'm okay. not completely sure. Right. But some people in the community did believe that Dinah was actually the poltergeist and that she was like a master ventriloquist. Okay. Sure. Maybe she was. <laughs> like maybe. Yeah. But but <laughs> eleven year old just how is she gonna chuck water glasses from across mm-hmm. the room or break windows with her brain like that doesn't compute so the voice right. sure if you want to say that she was a ventriloquist that's fine but like what about all of the other things <laughs> that not only the family witnessed but like several people witnessed going on right 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 right, so, right. yeah okay so. yeah I was just wondering <laughs> if that's why they were like all right you know you just gotta go um, or if there was another <laughs> Take your reason with you right yeah. <laughs> so and it stopped before she left so it has nothing to do with that I guess um right. anyway all right well let's take a little bit of a break because mine is pretty pretty meaty and uh I don't know even know if I have enough breath to get through half of this so Sweet. hopefully I do but let's take a little break just to to give our audience um some time to Uh, collect themselves collect themselves yeah (laughs) so i too and we did not discuss this beforehand decided to do a story about a poltergeist which i didn't originally know until i started researching what it was because it was just referred to as the great amherst mystery so um i will be doing half of the story this episode so everyone can look forward to the second half at the beginning of our next full episode so stay tuned for that but this one is um quite lengthy so I just wanted to break it up a bit because uh, we usually don't go past an hour on on these episodes but um, I think that this one it had so many things happen that I wanted to give it the context that it deserved. The Great Amherst Mystery was a notorious case of a reported poltergeist activity in Amherst, Nova Scotia, Canada between 1878 and 1879. It was the subject of an investigation by Walter Hubble, an actor with an interest in psychic phenomena, who kept what he claimed was a diary of events in the house and then later expanded it into a popular book, which is where I'll be reading the majority of the accounts from. So a background of the Amherst mystery centers around Esther Cox, who lived in a house with her married sister, Olive Teed, Olive's husband, Daniel, and their two young children, as well as a brother and sister of Esther and Olive named William and Jane, and Daniel's brother, John Teed. So there was quite a few people living inside the house. So there was also quite a few witness accounts of what was going on. 
According to Hubble's account, events began at the end of August 1878 after Esther Cox, then aged 18, was subjected to an attempted sexual assault by a male friend named Bob McNeil when she went on a horse and carriage ride with him. This left her in great distress, and shortly after this, the physical phenomena began, which is where I'll begin reading from the first-hand accounts by Walter Hubble, who lived in the house for six weeks during the paranormal activity. So a week after the incident that happened between Esther and Bob, Esther was crying day and night, and Jane felt like an intervention was necessary and said to Esther, do you know I think you're losing your mind and that if you keep on this way, you will get so crazy that we'll have to put you in the insane asylum. For a few minutes, everything was perfectly still, no sound to be heard except for the breathing of the two young girls as they lay side by side in bed. They had been perfectly quiet for about 10 or 15 minutes when suddenly Esther jumped out of bed with a scream, exclaiming that there was a mouse under her bedclothes. Her scream startled her sister, who was almost asleep, and she also got out of bed and lit the lamp. They both searched the bed but could not find the supposed mouse and supposed that it was inside the mattress at that point and had crawled its way in. So they put out the light and got into bed, bed again. After listening for a few minutes without hearing the straw move in the mattress, they both fell asleep. On the following night, the girls heard something moving under the bed, thinking it was once again the mouse. So they both arose, and on hearing a rustling in a green pasteboard box filled with patchwork, which was under the bed, they placed it out in the middle of the room and were much amazed to see the box jump up in the air about a foot and then fall on its side. The girls could not believe their own eyes, so Jane placed the box in its old position in the middle of the room and both watched it intently, and to their amazement again, the same thing occurred. The girls were now really frightened and screamed as loudly as they could for Dan. They told him what had just taken place, but he only laughed and after pushing the box under the bed, remarking that it must be insane or perhaps they had been dreaming. The next evening, Esther complained of feeling feverish and was advised by Olive and Jane to go to bed, which she did. About 10 o'clock, Jane retired for the night. After she had been in bed some 15 minutes, Esther jumped with a sudden bound into the center of the room, taking all of the bedclothes with her. So the bedding is what they refer to as bedclothes. My God, she exclaimed, what can be the matter with me? Wake up, Jane, wake up. I'm dying, I'm dying, dying. Jane responded, why dying people don't speak in that loud tone? Wait until I get the light lamp. Don't die in the dark, Esther. Jane thought her sister only had the nightmare, but when she lit the lamp, she was considerably alarmed by her sister's appearance. There stood Esther in the center of the room, her face as red as blood, and her eyes really looked as if they were about to exit their so her sockets. Her hands were grasping the back of a chair so tightly that her nails sank into the soft wood. She stood there in her white nightgown, trembling with fear. Her sister called as loudly as she could for assistance. Olive, and then Dan, William Cox, and John Teed all entered the room about the same time. They stood looking at the girl, not knowing what to do to revive her terrible agony. She became very pale and seemed to be growing weak. In fact, she became so weak in a short time that she had to be assisted to bed. 
After sitting on the edge of the bed for a moment and gazing about the room with a vacant stare, she got up on her feet with a wild yell and said she felt like bursting into pieces. She was literally burning up with fever and yet as pale as death, while only a few minutes before her face was as red as blood and she was as cold as ice to touch. While the family stood looking at her, wondering what would relieve her, for her entire body had now swollen to an enormous size, and she was screaming in pain and grinding her teeth, a loud report like thunder was heard in the room. They all I'm picturing, I'm so sorry, I'm picturing like Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka. And the yeah, that's who I am picturing as well. That is also who I'm picturing. Okay, good. Um, so they all got up on their feet and were paralyzed in, in fear, going to the window, raising the curtain to see if they saw if there was thunder outside or what was going on. But there was nothing out there. And just as she let the curtain drop, three reports were heard, apparently directly under the bed. They were so loud that the whole room shook and Esther, who a moment before had been swollen to an enormous size immediately assumed her natural appearance and sank into a state of calm repose. As soon as they found that it was sleep and not death that had taken possession of her, they all left the room except for Jane, who went back to bed beside her sister but could not sleep a wink. About four nights after the loud reports had been heard, Esther had another similar attack. This time, however, she managed to get into bed before the attack had swelled her up to any great extent. Esther had only been in bed about five minutes when, to the amazement of the girls, all her bedding flew off and settled down in the far corner of the room. The family rushed into the room as before and were so frightened that they did not know what to do. Olive was the first to come to her senses, taking up the bedding and placing them back on her sisters, but they flew up again to the same place in the corner of the room. And then a pillow flew from under Esther's head and struck John Teed in the face. He immediately left the room saying that he had had enough. William Cox went down to the kitchen for a bucket of water to bathe Esther's head, which was aching terribly. Just as he got to the door of the room again with the bucket of water, a succession of reports were heard, which seemed to come from the bed where Esther lay. They were so very loud that the whole room shook again. And Esther, who had a moment before been swollen up, commenced to assume her natural appearance and a few minutes fell into a pleasant sleep. Everything seemed to now be all right again and everybody went back to bed. The next morning, they decided to call a doctor to try and diagnose what was happening to Esther. Good as call. The, yeah. As the hands <laughs> of the clock <laughs> pointed to 10, which is when the attacks usually occur, in walked the doctor. The doctor felt her pulse, looked at her tongue, and then told the family that she seemed to be suffering from nervous excitement and had evidently received a tremendous shock of some kind. Just as he had said these words, the pillow from under her head left the bed, with the exception of one corner, which remained under her head. It straightened itself out as if it was filled with air and then went back into its place again. John grasped it with both hands and held on with all of his strength. The pillow, however, was pulled by him by some invisible power stronger than himself. Just as the doctor arose from his chair, the reports under the bed commenced, as on the previous night. The doctor looked beneath the bed, but failed to ascertain what was causing the sounds. 
When he walked to the door, the sounds followed him, being now produced on the floor of the room. In about a minute after this, the bedding flew off again, and before they had been able to put it back on the bed, the sound of a person writing on the wall with a sharp instrument was heard. All looked at the wall once the sound of the writing came, when to their great astonishment there was seen written near the head of the bed, in large characters, these words, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. Everybody could see the writing plainly, and yet only a moment before, nothing was seen but a blank wall. That is terrifying. Yeah. Sorry. As the doctor stood in the doorway for a moment, wondering to himself what it all meant, a large piece of plaster came flying from the wall of the room, having in its flight turned a corner and fallen at his feet, and poundings commenced again with redoubled power this time shaking the entire room. All this time, Esther lay upon the bed, almost frightened to death by what was occurring. After the state of things, she continued for about two hours, and then everything became became quiet and she went to sleep. The doctor remained at the house and experienced a few more scares and returned again the next evening with several very powerful sedatives, which he administered to Esther at about 10 o'clock as she lay in bed hoping to calm whatever was going on she still complained of her nervousness and said that she felt as if electricity was passing all through her body he had given her the medicine and had just remarked that she would have a good night's rest when the loud sounds commenced only they were much louder and in much more rapid succession than on the previous nights presently the sounds left the room and were heard on the roof of the house The doctor instantly left the house and went out onto the street, hearing the sounds while in the open air. He returned to the house and told the family that from the street it seemed as if some person was on the roof with a heavy sledgehammer, pounding away to try and break through the shingles. He again remained until 12. Everything becoming quiet again, he then departed, saying he would call again the next day. When he had got as far as the gate, the sounds of the roof commenced again with great violence and continued until he had gone about 200 yards from the cottage, at which distance he could still hear them distinctly. The next week, it became known throughout Amherst that strange things were going on at Dan Teed's cottage. The mysterious sounds had been heard by people on the street as they passed the house, and poundings now commenced in the morning and were to be heard all day long. Esther always felt relieved when the sounds were produced by the unknown power. One night, about three weeks after the doctor's first visit, as he and the family were standing around her bed, listening to the loud knockings, Esther suddenly threw her arms up towards the head of the bed and seemed to be seized with a spasm, for she became cold and perfectly rigid. While in this state, she commenced to talk and told all that had occurred between herself and Bob McNeil. When she came to her senses again, they told her what she had said by herself during the strange state from which she had just emerged. Upon hearing this, she commenced to cry and told them that it was all true, that he had threatened her, but becoming frightened by the sound of wheels in the distance, had driven her home without offering her any further show of violence. Olive. Good. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. Olive, having previously told her that Bob was bad news, began to rant that it must be Bob who was making all these strange sounds about the house. 
Instantly, three distinct reports were heard, shaking the whole house with violence. Do you know, doctor, said Jane, that I believe that whatever agency makes these noises, it can hear and understand what we are talking about and perhaps sees us. The moment she had finished the sentence, three distinct reports were heard as loud as before. The doctor then asked, can you, whatever you are, hear what we say? Again, three reports were heard, which shook the entire house. Why, that is very singular, remarked the doctor. I believe Jane was right. It can hear. They then proceeded to ask it questions. If you can see and hear us, tell us how many people are in this room. Esther did not know how many people were present because she was lying in the bed with her face buried in the pillow, trembling with fear. Dan did not receive an answer, so he asked again, how many people are in the room? Give us a knock on the floor for each one. Five distinct knocks were made by the strange force on the floor, and there were just five people in the room. The next evening, the doctor remained for about an hour, but as nothing occurred, he departed feeling rather disappointed. For the next three weeks, no one could tell when the manifestations would take place. Sometimes they would commence in the morning and continue all day, and at other times they would only take place after Esther had gone to bed. It had now become a settled fact that Esther must be in the house or there would be no manifestations of any kind. They never occurred with her in absence. Many people came to visit the house and experience the manifestations themselves. Theories like the shock to her system from the night that she had gone writing had created some mysterious manner in her body that created an electric current was one of the theories. But like that's insane and doesn't even make sense to me. Um, Many believed that the whole affair was a fraud, like her whole story was just made up. And others say that Esther mesmerized people to make them think that they were hearing and seeing things which never had any existence. So like I think she's like hypnotizing them. Yeah, she's hypnotizing them. I don't know. So the doctor, who continued to be one of the daily callers at the cottage, would have a theory one day that would seem to account for the manifestations that day, and then the next day something ridiculous would occur and upset his latest theory completely. So Finally, he gave up in despair and became simply a passive spectator of what was going on in the house. So I'm ending this at this part because then they go into a whole other explanation as to what is going on because Esther becomes ill and they suddenly go away. So I'll be discussing those other things in, the, in part two of this. So any theories about Esther and what the hell's going on here and why she specifically is getting these things happening to her after this supposed sexual attack on her? Like, do they relate? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like a, like a, like poor Esther. She got sexually assaulted and then she got and now a she, poltergeist And now she's got a poltergeist her. inside of her. Yeah. That's terrible. And like, Unless the guy was like some type of weird wiz, like, uh, I was going to say like witcher, but like, what's the term? Yeah, like maybe he cursed know. her in his yeah, like. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. That's we my We will find way. out in part two. Either that or wherever he took her, maybe there was like an entity there and it attached itself to her because of the bad I don't think they went that, that far. They them. just They just went on a horse and buggy ride and like, he just like attacked her wow 
So okay, well, and I can't then, wait to find out. Anyway, part two, we will find out. To Violet Beauregard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the um, sick Willy Wonka sequel. <laughs> that's all I can picture every single time they say she swells up. Like I'm just like imagining. <laughs> or me, because I've definitely swollen up now. Oh my lord. <laughs> So on that note, we can do our fuck Mary kills uh, to end off this episode, which are can't we're doing um, a theme famous of famous cancers, can, famous cancer people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna go with, whew, let's go with Chris Pratt, mm-hmm. uh, Lana Del Rey, and Mindy Kaling. Okay, I am going to marry Mindy Kaling. Yeah, great. I'm going to have sex with Lana Del Rey and I'm going to kill Chris Pratt. Same. Oh my God. That's exactly my answer. Yeah, those are the, that's the only right thing to do, right? Yeah. Those needs no explanation. (laughs) No explanation needed on that one, no. Um, Okay. So I'm going to do Khloe Kardashian, Mm -hmm. Will Ferrell, Mm -hmm. and Larry David. Okay. Oh man, that's tough. How do you? I know. And I'm like, obviously, I'm marrying Will Ferrell because he's hilarious. I'm gonna have, or or I marry Chloe because she's so rich, and then have sex with Will Ferrell, and then I was there's like, so many options. Kill Larry David. How can you kill Larry David? No. So I'm gonna have to marry Larry David. I'm gonna have to have sex with Will Ferrell and kill Chloe Kardashian. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately. I also, yeah, I I feel like there's enough Kardashians to continue the legacy. She can go. <laughs> I like I I'm actually so I have like this weird relationship where I'm like I I love watching them. I love knowing what's going on with them. I love looking at photos of them. I know I I recognize and realize I'm part of the problem. I want people to understand that I I know that, okay? <laughs> like, I know. I try then, so hard never to click on any articles that I'm have obsessed. to do with them, but then I always do. I always do. I'm obsessed. Why? I watch the show. I, I love looking at them. I love <laughs> looking at them. And, like, they I know are we're intriguing to look here, at. But, like, yeah. Kylie, like, Kylie's so gorgeous in photos. And then, unfortunately, when you watch the show and you watch her actually move around as a human you're like oh no honey what did you do to your face yeah <laughs> so it's, it's a little b- oh, I'm so much sorry. yeah um but so I understand that like they've created this like ugh, how do I go? you remember when we were like younger and like the women that we had to compare ourselves to were like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and yeah. most and Paris Hilton and most of these body types were like no curves very flat stomachs small mm-hmm. smallish boobs or it was a big deal if they got a boob job or whatever like yeah just, I feel like that was an unrealistic body expectation this is so far past the unrealistic body so far past it like, like at least so they, far past I mean it. not at least like it was clear that either they worked really like they had strict diets and they worked really really hard on maintaining that physical appearance and maybe they got a boob job right 
Like those were like the things that were clear that they did. They had personal trainers. They had the money. They had the resources to kind of like get fit or right. they actually maybe had eating disorders Some in some cases. Also that. They, like they, they, that was a big thing when we were younger. Like knowing that celebrities did not like had eating disorders was like I feel like something we just assumed. Um, yeah. Whereas with the Kardashians, like that is all the case as well. But on top of that, it's like, no, we're getting Brazilian butt lifts. We're getting lip injections. We're getting like horse hair. We're like, there's nothing is nothing is authentic. Like it's not. No, there's nothing that you you as a normal person could attempt to duplicate and achieve to to ever to ever look like that. And then there's still Photoshop on top of it, which we always had. We always had Photoshop, but now it's in our personal photos which we didn't have before i was gonna say now it's accessible by us yeah yeah now we can access it anyway it's just i i just wanted to preface that by saying i'll kill chloe i i love the kardashians i love looking at their stuff and looking at what's going on with them while also realizing that that it that it's a problem and that i shouldn't do it yeah um so just want people to know that i i recognize it um anyways well that's showbiz baby yeah and everybody should just stay spooky this week okay okay (laughs) goodbye bye (laughs) this podcast has been brought to you by the sonar network 